0: Welcome back to the podcast. I have the great pleasure today of welcoming an old friend who is also a new friend and really somebody that I respect so much. Jassy Cunningham is here with us. Jassy is a creator. He's a movement therapist. He's a group fitness instructor. He's a motivational speaker. He's a life coach. He's a former collegiate football player and performance athlete. Jassy, before I go on and sing your praises, I love you and welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Mm. Um, I am honored to be here. Trust me.
0: It's so nice to have you. Your football journey ended in 2012 and you moved to Eden, Utah, which is where we met. I think that same year, maybe a year later or something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, You were the in-house fitness instructor for Summit Series which was a huge yeah. formative part of many of our lives for a certain period of time. They created a, a venue, a forum, uh, a safe space for a lot of us to hang out and learn together, which was really beautiful. I met in queue there also, actually. Um, you served there for four years, and then you decided to travel, and you created the Jassy Method. I just want to spell Jassy for everyone who's listening, J-A-C-Y. It's like my favorite name. If I ever had another kid, it would be Jassy without a question. <laughs> um, so Jassy created the Jassy method, and I would love to start by talking about what that method looks like, and then we'll talk about where you've taken it, who, with whom you've served, mm-hmm. and uh, and move forward from there.
1: Elena, for one, I love you. Um, I love Jonah.
0: He loves you too, by the way.
1: <laughs> really Summit was... Um... A beautiful experience for me, it showed me um, the other side of the game. Having gone to private school and being one of few Black people in every room, it definitely showed me what that looks like in a, in a fuller form, in a bigger way. And just to see the access that I had to so many people that people would die to hear from or people would die to be in the same room as, um, it definitely elevated the confidence I had to walk into any room space and to say what needs to be said or to express myself however i choose or chose to and that's an experience that i think birthed um, the jossie method jossie method is my baby it's what i've taught at um, a multitude of festivals it's what i've taught on tour with musicians it's simply put um, it is a workout experience or movement-based experience that's the foundation is movement Um, but it's designed to take you in and out it's designed to Facilitate an experience where you can have an opportunity to see um, that dialogue you have within, and the and and move through it basically. Um, so my tagline is: We're working out meets working in. I think that's important for us to not always try to split ourselves into you know the duality that exists. Um, we always want to piecemeal our lives together, but I think that if we try to come back into a, a whole relationship with ourselves, um, that is a beautiful starting place for most people. And for me, I think. The Jossie Method has served me in allowing me to see how to impact people, because that's my mission. I think God gifted me with a, a path in front of me of servitude. And I have always tried to be of service, but didn't necessarily have a framework to follow um, or a framework for people to follow. So the Jossie Method became that framework. And it actually was birthed from a conversation that I had with Griffin's mother, uh, Amanda, who was a part of summit the community. And she She's of course, such Griffin, a special lady. Isn't she special? And she sat and me Griffin, down one day. My God, I know it's my best friend. I love Griffin. Um, he's, his mom sat me down and Amanda goes, um, Jossie, we all love what you're doing here at summit. And I'm like, Amanda, you don't even, you don't even come to all the workouts, but she was like, I, we love what you're doing. I love what you're doing. Mark loves what you're doing. We think it's bringing such a value to this community that wasn't here before. Um, But at the same time, she was like, you you can go deeper. And I was like, Amanda, what are you talking about? You know, like, where is this going? Where is this coming from? She was like, well, sometimes I think when the class is over, people want to just stick around and they want to have something to do. They want to, you know, stay in that pocket that you created for them, that little space that you carved out for them to just be free with their bodies and to explore their bodies and to explore what movement means for them. And I was like, okay, where's this going? And she said, you need to create your own method. She said, you know, I've been following the Tracy Anderson method, and I've been seeing all these white women with all these methods. And she was like, you deserve a method. You deserve a framework that you know not only they that that your community can follow, but you can follow as well, and that can give you an anchor into the wellness world. And it really did. You know, from that birthing the Jossie method allowed for me to. Travel and take something with me that was tangible for people that they can experience instead of it being just oh Yeah, work out with that guy It was no go experience this guy go experience this class because it became more than fitness for me Um, It unlocked doors within me of motivation of inspiration that I didn't even know was there or I knew was there But wasn't confident in expressing so for me it was an experience that just showed me who I really am and how I can truly serve people and with, with all the talents and experiences and gifts that I've been given, um, how do I alchemize and create something from that, that I can now put forth in the world? Yeah. And, uh, and that's what the Jossie Method became. And now it's a calling card for my business. And you know I've been able to go on tour with a number of musicians, uh, Mike Posner, Grizz, Jazzy Jeff. Um, and I've been able to express and extend that method into their world, into their communities and touch their people. And um, it's just, it's something that's so important to me um, but without that framework, I don't think I would be as confident as I am in guiding and teaching the method. Because, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing at Summit. I was just having fun. Um, well, I think I needed that.
0: You made a difference. Made I did. A
1: difference. And I didn't know. That's the thing. I wasn't aware. I was so mm. out of touch sometimes because I was so concerned as to how I was showing up. Because <sighs> that was such a hard environment for me to exist in. Um, mm. being the only black dude basically visible in the community. Yeah. Um, it was hard. It was definitely easier for me than, than most because I grew up in that type of way. I went to private school from age of 12 and that's where I, I met Elliot Bisner who started Summit and um, that's what gave me um, a certain anchor into those opportunities. But when I was there, I never felt in, included. Um, I never felt a part of the experience. I felt as if I was just a doer and it, it, it didn't hit me until I left and I would talk to people, and they would share with me their experience of me. And I'm like, wow, this is, whoa, what, how, what? And so it showed me that when you are um, when you feel alone in your experience, um, no matter how or what you're doing, it can create some, dis- some discord within you. And I think I had that and I carried that through Summit. And I showed up as big as day every day, but there was mm-hmm. still a piece of me um, that didn't feel like that experience was necessarily mine. Right. And so, um, yeah, from that, I've carved out a lot of different spaces within wellness. And I think that's what I'm trying to continue exploring now, is how to continue serving in a bigger way.
0: It's interesting because I too have been, there's no comparison, obviously, but I too have been in the position of being on staff in places where everyone who was a guest there also was inviting me to you know sit and eat food and come and hang out and Uh but i was really working and i was still being paid and so it was a very awkward as you said lonely position to be in even though nobody else really felt what i was feeling so i get that and then add to that the situation at hand which is now so front and center um You know, I'm sure Elliot, none of us anyway, anyone who was there, we, we never had the experience of you being the only black person. You had the experience of you being the only black person. And we never really realized our whiteness until now. And that's something that all of us have to come to terms with and really respect and acknowledge and address. Um, And do
1: it in a way where there still exists some harmony. I think. Of course the easiest thing that happens when we have periods of time like this is that people are so quick to judge, hate, to condemn instead of realizing that we're all subject to the same system um, and, and and there's trauma on every side i think there's you know there's not to be scaled but there's a, definitely a deeper trauma that exists in black people across the world across the diaspora but it's still trauma no less of everyone because if it affects me then it affects you because if i walk into a room carrying any guilt mm-hmm. shame or anything from my experience then you're going to feel that and you mm-hmm. might trigger you to do the same right and so i've been always in a space of um expressing joy because i feel like they're not enough of us who express joy i think there's many of us who can articulate life and can framework things for people so that we can help them you know put themselves in a better position to live a life they love but we often aren't given space for our own enjoyment of that process. And so for me, I'm always big on how can I enjoy the moment? How can I help someone else enjoy themselves? Because that's all we really have at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, We have all these attachments, but it always comes back down to self. And so we can of course look at the battle in front of us and we can fight, 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 but there's an also another battle that goes on every single day. Um, and that's the battle within. And that's a fight that many of us have ran from for years. And I think right now, especially with what's happening across the world, is an opportunity for us to look within and see ways in which we have caused our own fear, have created our own trapping. Because the world would do it for us, but we have to allow it. And I think when you're confused and you're conflicted as to your own existence, it's so easy for you to just fall in line with whatever's happening in the world. And so for me, I'm making a stand during this time, especially to truly integrate the same medicine that I put out, um, the same things that I say to people and to help them get through things as the same medicine that I'm now taking. Right. And it feels really, really interesting, very different to take your own medicine. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Tell me when you say that you want to bring joy, which is all I feel from you truly, <laughs> Is there ever a time when you feel, now, now I've had lots of conversations in the last few weeks with several of my colleagues of color, and mm-hmm. I'm, I am I'm now aware of the fact of how many years, lifetimes, the black community has felt a need to help the white community, in the sickest irony of all, to <laughs> feel more comfortable. And I just want to make sure you know that you don't have to do that and that you are a bastion, a ball of happiness every time I see you, but you don't have to. I just thank you for it.
1: Ah, thank you so much. And it's so funny you bring that up because that is something that um, I definitely uh, notice because a lot of times we're we're born into families and our mothers are always telling us to, you know, we're prepared for the world. We're prepared for our entry into the world from our parents. They give us, don't say this, act like this, be like this, walk this way, talk this way. And I used to fall in line with that in every place that I would walk into. I would go back to my mother's words. What did she say? How should I show up? What should I dress like? How should I act? And I realized that I was carrying the same trauma that she was carrying. And we weren't giving ourselves space from it. We were just integrating more of it into our lives and into our, you know, the raising of our children, into the whole game. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is not what I want for myself. Um, I don't want to always feel like I'm confined every time I step outside of the house or that I have to, you know, kind of um, lessen myself Mm -hmm. or, you know, bring my vibe down to fit the vibe of the world. So that's one of the reasons why I'm very radical with how I express my joy, because I think that um, if God gives you that, 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 because I mean, for me, that joy is peace. And um, that gives me some peace, a pocket of peace that I can dig into every day. And I wake up and I have my morning marriage practice that I do where I write my vows to myself or I usually write a letter to myself. And I recite that letter. Then I do my affirmations. I dance and I get my day started. And that's something that I had to do because I was so quick. Um, every time I would go outside of my house and get into the world, I realized that I had to take a bite of myself to offer it to people so often. Um, to see if they liked how I showed up or this version of me. Because you know, to show up as you want to show up is uh, the hardest thing to do in this world. Because there's so many ways in which we have to show up in order to make money or to do this or to be heard or whatever. So just showing up is a task. And just showing up how you want to is a task. So I think that joy for me is an opportunity I have every day to show up for myself to enjoy my existence as it is without any other attachments. Because if I'm always in need of something extra to enjoy myself or to love myself, then um, that relationship is never whole.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'll always feel a lack of love. And I think that's something that we all struggle with is this lack feeling. Like I'm not enough, or I don't have enough, or I haven't done enough, or I'm not being enough, or whatever. And I used to struggle with that. And I think at this stage of my life, I'm operating from a place of just being, which people, it, it fucks with people, to be honest with you, <laughs> because I think we're, we live in a very product-driven society
2: right. where people
1: become products, yep. and we live in a society that originally Black people had to purchase their freedom. Mm-hmm. So that's what Black people are continuing to do, pr- try to purchase their freedom. So they, you know, we buy all the, we spend the most money, and we do these things because we're just trying to buy an, uh, some version of freedom. Um, that we can believe in. And I used to do that. Um, I used to spend all my money on trying to um, wear the trappings of my oppression so that it looked like I was free. Mm. And over the years, I realized how much damage that's done to my soul by trying to fit into a matrix that you had no hand in designing. And that's why you you lose every time you step into that game. So for me, I realized that As a sovereign being, I have the opportunity every day to create my own life and to paint my own picture. And the biggest piece of that is joy.
0: This marriage practice is blowing my mind. Really? (laughs) My mind is completely blown. I write a letter to myself every morning of vows, the vows that I'm taking with myself every morning we need to like spend some time on this. And then I wanna go back to something else that came up for me when you were talking. Okay. Um, Let's teach my listener exactly what this practice looks like because this I think is going to heal the planet.
1: Um, I started doing this in 2016 before I moved to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil to be with my wonderful lady, Juliana, who you know. And I realized that in order to be with this woman, I had to start digging into some knowledge of the divine. I had to start like figuring out, you know, how to approach Luna because Luna carries such a big energy with her and such a divine energy. And her feminine is her essence is just, I can go on about her forever. So I was like, okay, let me start creating. Because we used to, she invited me into her practices. We used to do these bath rituals, which I thought were so beautiful to just sit in the bathtub with your beloved. And to just share whatever you're going through, whatever fears you have, whatever concerns you have, whatever afflictions or whatever love you have, whatever it may be, to just share it and to consecrate it in the water together. It was beautiful. And I remember one day before I left for Brazil, I had taught a a retreat with a woman named Rochelle Sheik. She has a beautiful practice called Koya Yoga, Mm Q-O-Y-A. And that was my first co-facilitated retreat I've ever done in the last one, (laughs) which was in 2016. And I remember we had to do these prompts because I was teaching, I was guiding. We would guide, I would guide the men for three days and then I would guide the women for, for three days and then we would come together on the last day. And I remember just coming up with different ideas because I had to just think of things to do because time was so vast in these retreats. You got to just fill up time. And I'm like, well, what should I have them do today? Because I didn't really come together with a rubric or a plan. I'm very... I just go with where spirit needs to go. Like if spirit says, hey, do it like this. I don't ask questions. I do it like that. Mm. And I remember one day I woke up and the first thing on my mind was Jossie, you know, how are you going to get yourself into a right relationship with yourself to marry this woman that you love, that you're going to see in the next week? And because this was a big thing for me was getting married. That was like something that was always on my mind. And I remember just how much energy I was putting outside of myself to carry this. And I remember one of the women at the retreat, Virginia, she goes, I love that you love this woman. I love that you have this big love for this relationship. But she was like, how is your relationship with you? And are you extending that same amount of love back into yourself to nourish yourself, to water yourself? And I was like, no, I've just been giving it out to people. No wonder I feel depleted. And so I went home and that first night I had here from Costa Rica back home, I sat down and I came up with this ceremony because I was in ceremonial space still coming from Costa Rica, such a beautiful place. And I thought to myself, how can I help me fall back in love with me? Because I clearly have fallen out of love with me and I've fallen in love with everything outside of me. So how can I fall back in love with myself, get back into that, that juiciness of just being alive with me without anything else? And I started writing a letter to myself. I said, okay, well, this, this seems like it helps. <laughs> this seems like it's, it, it makes sense to do. It just was common sense for me in the moment. Like, just write a letter to yourself. And that letter opened up so much space for me to understand where I was falling out of love with myself. And then further beyond that, I started to create these morning practice where I would write on a sheet of paper, I would make a list, split it down the middle, two columns and say why I love myself on one side and why I hate myself on the other side. And I would write down the truth of what those were. And so that that morning ceremony that I started created this ripple effect of just wanting to know myself every morning, wanting Mm -hmm. to like wrap myself in myself every morning, And because that's like, for me, was the only opportunity I saw in my day to have that space. Because once the day is ensued, you're just out there and you're just hustling. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) And
1: I was like, well, before I go and do that, I really want to make sure that the relationship I have with me is of sound nature. It's solid because I don't want to go out in the world and start building all these things on top of a faulty foundation that can fall at any moment. Because if I'm always at the whim of some other thing other than myself, then I'm just, yeah, I'm just divided. And so that morning practice evolved over time into me realizing that I was so concerned in marrying someone that I forgot to marry myself, that I forgot that, hey, Jossie, you exist and you need to be looking into the mirror and saying, I love me. Mm. I'm alive. I'm happy and proud to be here. And I started doing that. And it evolved, evolved, evolved until me sharing that practice on my social media and evolved into me sharing it amongst, you know, camps that I was teaching at in retreats. And it evolved into me understanding how beautiful and fruitful this experience of myself was to have. I'm just writing down vows, just waking up, saying thank you first, because I feel like that's an opportunity that we miss as well. We wake up and we just start our days. And I'm like, wait a minute, that thank you goes a long way. When you wake up and you say thank you, it just cuts through all the bullshit that you were about to tell yourself about yourself. Right all the ways in which you were about to defeat yourself before your day started, now you have a thank you as a foundation. And that thank you serves, it really does, because no matter where your life may be, or no matter what storm you're in or under, you have a thank you. You have something to be thankful for. There's a thank you in there somewhere. And so I found that this morning practice, writing vows to myself, like literally just taking a journal out of my, or a page out of my journal, or, or, or whatever, back of a book, and just writing a letter, a vow to myself, just writing love to myself. What do I want to experience of myself today? How do I want to carry myself throughout this day?
2: Mm.
1: What do I want to have happen today? Because I can manifest. And then it turned into me going from there to going into the mirror in the bathroom and reciting these words aloud, loud.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So I can hear them back to me. And sometimes I couldn't even finish them because I'd be so emotional. I'm like, wow, I was really speaking some love to myself, and I don't know how to accept it right now. Yeah. And that evolved into me dancing, following that, because I realized that it was too hard for me just to stand in the mirror and just say affirmations and love to myself, that I had to put it in my body. I had to take what was happening in my mind, connect that to my heart, and then let it permeate through me. And so I would just put on music and just dance. In whatever form I felt like, whether it was rolling on the floor, I don't care, whatever space I had, I used. And it turned into me really acknowledging the space that I always have available to me to love me. And um, I think that's a very important space that we can sometimes miss. It's just a
0: stunning display of what anyone in any wellness space would want to have happen on a daily basis. That's what that is. Hmm. It's a healing. It's a massive it <laughs> healing. If everyone did that, I dare say, there would not be hatred in the world.
1: It'd be very hard to hate someone when you are very full of love. It's very yeah. hard to hate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The What came up for me when you were speaking earlier was a quote that I was taught. W.E.B. Du Bois said that for people of color, there are two lives that they live. One is the life among white people. And the second is the life among people of color. And it's, it's really come into stark relief in the last weeks. As I look at what that requires of a nervous system hmm. to live two lives like that, it, it brings me to tears each time because I'm constantly thinking of I wonder who in my life of my, and I have so many dear friends of color, but I wonder who of them, they all felt this. And I wonder how I added to this unknowingly, this, this taxation of a nervous system where two, two simultaneous existences have to reside in this one body in order to survive. And it makes me it makes me want to say thank you to you because what you teach in terms of movement and not only releasing from the body, but also integrating whatever is taught or learned uh, is one of the most important things that we can do right now to assuage and mollify the nervous system and start oh. to bring all of these nervous systems of color to a place where they don't, they no longer. Nobody any longer has to exist in these two different spaces. It becomes one space. That's kind of my dream. It's so
1: interesting that you say that because now just I'm just reflecting on my own life in the moment and I see that I do live, you know, multiple lives. You know, because we have so many ways in which we're designed to show up as, you know, whether it's in social media or whatever. It's like it's very because of how marginalized a lot of these spaces are. Um, We don't feel that we can be ourselves to the fullest extent because we're trying to protect ourselves to that point. And, you know, I show up with my black friends different than I show up with my white friends because it's the vernacular is different. Mm -hmm. The energy is different. Um, And I think that is something I've I've, uh, mastered ever since going to private school at 12 years old and realizing that um, my experience of life was just different than my peers, uh, who didn't look like me. And so I've always been aware of that. And so I think I've gotten, you know, my mom always says that she says, every black person is a chameleon, whether they know it or not. Um, That's it Because right in there. order to go to a job and do these things, um, you have to show up in a very confined way to do what you have to do to make the money. And then once you get home, you have the relief and you can be around your friends and you can laugh, you can play and you can sing and you can do whatever. And I think a lot of us, black, whiter, and different, we all struggle with that, um, with having to show up um, in so many different ways. I just think it's when you're black, you are already like, like you're born with like a division mm. uh, because you know in your home, there's certain things that you believe in and certain things that you share and certain things that you do. But out in the world, there's this threat that if you show up in the full color of who you are, you won't be fully accepted. And so we show up in the most the most readily available ways for people to digest. Probably. It's like, hey, I know that you can handle this version of me, so here you go. I trust that you can handle this version of me, so here you go. And so you realize over the years, you've been just taking bites about bites of yourself and over time you become consumed and I think a lot of us consume because of how consumed we are, with just being black and trying to exist in so much madness and trying to show up through it all. You know, I always tell people that before I leave my house, well, no matter if I'm at my parents' house, or I'm in New York or L. A., wherever I am, I have a moment to myself of like of like pain, and it is it it doesn't last long, but it's always a moment, a recognition of what may be out there waiting for me once I step outside the door, or if I step on the Metro, or if I go into a, a WeWork building or anything, just eyes, just praying eyes mm. upon me because of what I look like and because of the the, the the narrative of fear that is attached to skin. And so, you know, cause it's crazy. If we really look at, if we step back from it all, we're like, wow, we've really been brainwashed into some crazy shit. Um, But there's an opportunity right now to unlearn and to reprogram because clearly the program that we've been running is full of viruses. Lies, just flat out lies. Just full of lies. And we believe them because for many of us, we have to buy the lie to even say some truth. Mm. Or we have to buy the lie to just get by and make money and and survive. Mm. You know, it's like my mom always tells me that you know, her life was predicated upon survival. My dad's life was predicated upon survival. He had to do what he had to do. And that have to do mentality doesn't end with him. It spreads to his seeds. So a lot of black people just feel like we have to do. And that having to do something always eats at having just, or just being allowed to be and exist. People like black people struggle with just being. My mom struggles with meditation. My dad struggles with meditation. Being silent is very hard because there's so much that goes on in the minds of Black people trying to create a peaceful zone for themselves to exist in, in the midst of all this craziness that we have to exist in. And so it's like, you know, for me, a morning marriage practice is what I had to create for myself because I realized how easy it was for me to just give a paintbrush away to someone else to paint a picture of my life with. How easy it was for me to just say yes when I knew I wanted to say no, because I was fearful of it. Because if I did say no, then I might lose the opportunity or lose the job. And so my yes became something that it didn't even, it, it didn't have the substance it had anymore. I was just saying yes to anything and everything. And I remember a moment at Summit, Luna coming to me and goes, "Jocelyn, you don't deserve this anymore. You deserve better. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? She's like you deserve better like you are a bright light in this world and you deserve more for yourself you don't deserve to be struggling always because a lot of black people especially in wellness those that even are highly educated highly qualified we still struggle to a certain degree because of how marginalized the industry is and so it's you know that's something that eats at people too when they're trying to preach wellness they don't even have it <laughs> You know, and so I've been able to fill my own cup up enough to have the confidence that I can manifest whatever I want,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I just know and I trust that whatever energy shoots through me from beneath me, above me, and around me is for my highest good, mm-hmm. and for those of you know that look like me, and for anyone around me, because they're gonna get that that little spread of of, of vibe. They're gonna it's gonna touch them. And so that's why I carry that spirit with me.
0: I definitely have some of yours. I've, I've carried yeah, it have me to all these years.
1: Yeah, and it's a deep conversation. You know, it's like we're going to have these conversations again and again and again. I'm just so proud of humanity for having these conversations. Yeah, because for so many years we've denied the space that we needed to carve out for these conversations. We've just been able to continue because, because imagine this: if there was no pandemic, if if the George Floyd incident never happened, we would be still hustling and going about our days without any recognition of what is in front of us. Yeah. And I think right now is I'm th- I'm so thankful and grateful to you and to my wellness community and to the white people I have in my life for knowing that this is the time to speak up, that this is the time to amplify voices that haven't been heard, that this is that time. But I always go back to like, what was the time before and why weren't these voices being amplified or heard? I'm asking. You know, because if, if it takes another Black body to be dismembered for us to have these conversations again or for some change to happen, then we're going to be fighting this battle forever. No, no. And no, no. I think right now is such a rich opportunity for all people to feel connected to one another and support, you know, to feel like your voice matters in the bigger scheme. That's what I didn't feel like for a long time. That's why I didn't say anything.
2: Mm-hmm. Or if
1: I did, i said it in a very confined space in a gym that was considered mine. Right. So I had to have some ownership over a space to say some shit instead of just wanting to say some shit and just saying it. Right. So you see a lot of us are trying to own something and to do something and to become these big, big, big things just to say something that we all know needs to be said from every place and position. So now, because of what's happening, all people are being heard. No matter if you have a million followers, if you have two thousand followers, if you have eight, people are willing to listen right now, and that's very important to understand. Because a lot of people are like, "Yo, well, fuck this," and I, and, you know, why? It's like, listen, we, we there, there will always be a fuck this available, but there is this deep amount of thank you I have for just being alive right now to experience this, and I'm letting that thank you be like a source for me of energy every day. Like, I know I got some shit to deal with in the world. Mm. It's not going to change overnight. Mm. But if I am just willing enough every day to just dig into myself to uncover whatever fruit that I can eat, that others can eat, I think I'll be okay. And so that's what I've been doing, not trying to fight the largest battle, but fighting the everyday battles that I may have.
0: It's good medicine. It's good medicine for anyone. Yeah, it's the best medicine for anyone listening because if you're white, you now have to face the fact that you've been lied to for years, your whole life, about the history of wherever you live, basically. (laughs) What a bunch of bullshit they taught us in school, man. Didn't they?
1: Like, it's so, and you know what's crazy? What's even crazier? So I remember at Summit, um you remember bobby Lau? so bobby Lau i think i do um yeah. he was a massage therapist uh brother oh, with yeah, the dreads yeah, yeah. from new york yeah, yeah, yeah. and then yeah. there was malik brother with the dreads from san francisco mm-hmm. um we used to do these men's meetings every every like couple of days during the week We would go to bobby's house we would sit down me griffin john stein i think harrison showed up a couple of times and we would just talk about what it meant to just exist in these suits, as these people, with these faces, from these places. Wow. And it was so beautiful to see that, you know, like that's all you really need. Because we're not gonna tackle it in groups of thousands and thousands. It's too it's too much intersectionality involved. And we're just no, but if we can congregate in groups of five to ten and have these conversations and let them permeate through our communities. Right. If we can congregate in groups of, you know, less than 20 on a Zoom call or, or, or just three or four, because I think that's what we need to be focusing on is those micro conversations that we can have that can affect that macro conversation of racism or that macro kind of just concept, because that's the thing. I think people are so caught up in trying to solve so many issues of the world that they forget that there's issues around them that they can touch, um, that can give them a certain confidence to now handle the bigger issues. So for me, I'm just I'm going with like my clo- like the people closest to me. We talk about this every day. I make sure that my peers, my white peers, they hear my voice and we have these conversations, even if they're uncomfortable. Because that's how we grow, that that that's how we mature as humans, irregardless of race, socioeconomic status, whatever, we evolve as human beings by involving human beings in our experience. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to involve thousands of people. That's why I do, invo- I, listen, I enjoy and I love seeing what's happening with the protesting. That will always be a voice for us because as Malcolm, yeah. I mean, as Martin Luther King said, that is the voice of the unheard, you know? And so that will always be a space for us to do that. That's always gonna be a part of how we are heard. But if we aren't having these conversations amongst each other on the day-to-day basis, then we're missing the point. Um, if we're not having that conversation with ourselves on a day-to-day basis, then we're missing the point. And we're just fueling a battle that we can't win. And so it's like, yeah. I just know that the only battle I face every day is the, the one in the mirror. <laughs> and once I can accept that and love that, then I can, I can accept others and love others. But it starts with me.
0: If only I could have been a fly on the wall for those meetings.
1: Oh, they were so dope. I mean, just imagine like that birthed a part of my practice during my class as, as, as eye gazing. We're soul gazing, as they say. Good work. And I, we, we worked on it then because Bobby was certified in some discipline, and he would teach that to us. And it would be so uncomfortable at first because, like, I'll never forget it. Whenever John or Griffin and I would lock eyes, we would just start laughing because we just got history, we just got a bunch of laughs that we've shared. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also a discomfort because, like, from two men to gain an intimate moment. it's it's, it's uncomfortable because masculinity is a toxic thing. It's very uncomfortable to be a man because we don't understand what masculinity truly is. (laughs) And so we're always projecting it and we see that it's fucking up the world too. And so we had moments where we could see our own masculinity in the eyes of someone else. And that was so beautiful for me. I love those moments. And that's why I share them in my class now. And that's the biggest part of my class that people enjoy the most of is the eye gazing. I do three rounds of it. And of course, people get so scared at first. They're like, "Oh my God, what am I doing? Who is this person in front of me? I don't know this person. What do they see? Oh my God, my eyes! Oh my God, my face! My it's my freckles, my lips." Like we start then just like realizing how deep of a concern we always have about how we're showing up in the eyes of someone else, not realizing that that mirror is us. And so it's like we all go into that conversation every day. You walk into a room, you're like, "How do they see me? Can they see me? Can they see me? Am I here? Am I here? Okay, how do I look? How do I look We're always having that conversation. And it's to have true. that in front of someone and to connect on that vibe is beautiful. I mean, I've seen people break down just by looking into the, the eyes of someone else. Because there's pain that we hide in behind our eyes. Mm. There's joy. There's so much that we hide. And I think the eyes, as they say in the Bible, are the windows to the soul. Mm. And so it's like... Once you see someone and you look at them and you can see them, you can kind of see through them. You can see their stories, you can see their pain, you can see their shit. And that's what I love about what I've created is that I've allowed for it to create itself. Um, I've just taken experiences that that I've enjoyed and put them into something that I think I can teach. And it's just, it's, it's so crazy when I see how much impact it has on the world, when I'm able to just shine and I'm not trying to think of how I'm going to shine. I'm just showing up and shining. And I think that's something that we all need to get to a place that was just not always thinking about how we're going to do it, but just mm. doing it because we're just, we're just supposed to. And I, yeah.
0: I had a teacher who said three famous words, fuck the how, mm. just do the thing. <laughs> the, um, I think the, the current, climate calls for a sort of a wrap up of what you are doing in this time to heal and to move forward. I would love to hear from you, how you see this thing, um, unfurling in front of us. I'll give you some context. My plan is to spend the rest of my life creating a world in which I probably won't see the fruits of the labor that I will put in, in terms of healing this, um, making the playing field more leveled, creating place in this ridiculously overly white wellness world for uh our brothers and sisters of color. And it will probably culminate in a time when I will no longer be alive, that's my guess. Tell me about what you're seeing happen.
1: Um, hmm. it's so interesting you ask this question because I was just sharing some things I saw on Instagram with my mom earlier
2: mm.
1: about um, basically just you know right now a lot of brands are pivoting and positioning um, to speak on the behalf of you know Black Lives Matter and all these things, and it just it's it's very alarming. It's almost traumatizing to a certain extent because you realize that it's just a response, it's just a reaction to what's happening. Yeah. And it's the proper reaction to take because they're a brand that represents a lot in the world and also needs to stay relevant in black communities because we're the ones that spend the most money here. So I, I start seeing just the position and the pivoting of these brands and I'm like, wow, is this, in, is it genuine? You know, like that's the thing. I think right now it's just I'm trying to understand is the position that these brands are taking a genuine one? You know, is Nike coming out with a message that says, just don't do it? Is that genuine? Or are still trying to sell Nikes to us and keep our loyalty, our customer loyalty? You know that's what a lot of these brands depend on, right? So you know I, I look at it as I think, hmm. Like I said, it's very hard for me, especially in wellness, to be heard a lot of the times because of just the social metric game that we play, um, which is also marginalized to a certain degree. Um, there's this pay-to-play. Uh, game in here in America especially and especially in wellness as practitioners and as professionals we are paying to be heard, paying to be seen, um, buying our following and our stewardship and um, that's been the game that we've all played for a a, a while now and it's definitely allowed for people to have um, whatever they want from the industry but then you see that there are voices that have power, that have meaning that need to be heard who aren't because once again they haven't played the game the same way or their hands that they that that they've been dealt to play the game with weren't the same, and I think that's a struggle for me. Is knowing that even the brands that I work with and are intimately connected with, I see myself on these brands as seasoning, um, because they just a lot of these brands just lack. What can I how how can I say it? Uh, flavor, I would say, cool. I don't know what the word is, um, but there's a certain throughway that they're missing into certain communities that they know they need just to to keep them supported and afloat Mm. and i see that right now i see a lot of brands positioning me and posturing me in that way and i'm fine with that like you know i say hey if you want to posture me i'll take it and i'll run with it but at the same time to just know that two weeks prior to this that couldn't happen or two weeks prior to this um these brands didn't give a fuck uh that's the traumatizing part is that now i have to say yes to things that weren't even available to me before, but someone had to die at the hands of the cops. Another black man had to be murdered for them to now see, oh, wow, maybe we should bring Jossie in, or maybe we should, why weren't you thinking of that before? That's always my question. What what didn't I bring to the table before that's now available? Or was there a table even available before? So it's just, that part of me um, is alarmed right now with what's happening. So my response to all of this has been Jasi, you know, you have a wellness toolkit within you dig in it, uncover what you need to do, because if you get caught up in trying to play the same game that you were playing before, it's not going to work this time. So for me, it's like, I've been reading the knowledge I needed to read. I've been digging into my knowledge bank of my ancestors, reading um, wonderful books like Metunata or Madunata, which is a, a book on just the Egyptian spiritual system. Um, Reading, you know, everything that I can kind of dig into, whether it's Malcolm X, um, whether it's this new book I got called Black Magic about the conjuring uh, tradition in African American communities, what Mm -hmm. we stole from Africa, Mm -hmm. and what was kind of developed here religion-wise. There's all these things that I that I had not been looking at before. So um, I've been able to turn back to something that I know is always available to me, but I necessarily didn't think I needed because I thought I was just arriving. Um, But then you realize that your arriving takes a lot of learning and it takes a lot of courage to arrive into a world that doesn't want you there or it doesn't value you at the same level that you value yourself. So it's like, I've been just doing me that I like the same me that I've been doing. um, But just knowing that now is an opportunity in front of me beyond just uh, making money or doing or hustling, but like, it's an opportunity to share a gift of my experience that I've had of my life, whether it's been Going to private school from a, from an early age and being confused from twelve years old as to what this race thing is and how they how, how to play this race game, seeing that articulation of it as an early teen, then going to college and going to an all black university, Howard University, um, then going going through that articulation as well and trying to understand that, and going into working at Summit. <laughs> you know, and so I've always been teeter tottering in and out of these worlds and communities. Right. And I think that's what I still am able to do. And, there, and there's a gift in that. There's a gift in being able to cross a bridge, but there's also a beautiful gift in being able to be a bridge. And I think I'm now seeing that I am that bridge for people because of what my experience of life has been. Because I've been in all communities and I've shared intimate space with people in these communities, I do have a certain understanding of how to get these points across to people in a way that doesn't attack them, Um, but just nurtures them, nourishes them, waters them, because we're all plants. We all need water from each other. And if I have an overabundance of water, then of course, I'm going to spread that. I want to give that out to people. And I think that's never going to stop for me. But it's now just knowing that before I go out into the world and I'm able to water others, I truly have to be watering myself. And that comes through my morning marriage. That comes through my movement practice. That comes through me reading and digging into knowledge that I may have been missing along the way or I may have just, you know, kind of just, oh, yeah, I don't need that knowledge right now. I always need that knowledge. I always need to know what came before me because that's the only way I'm able to stand strong during times like this is to know that black people of antiquity, our ancestors, were kings and queens. That a British explorer went to Africa and saw how beautiful and miraculous and crazy, just dreamy it was and only could think of ways to break that. Only could think of ways to break our mind so that we can give our bodies away, you know. So it's like you see the same structure happening in, in America. You see that chattel slavery still exists through sports. Yep. Yep. You see that the framework has hasn't necessarily gone away. It's just it's now wearing a different suit. You know, Jesus. it's like it's it's just really in disguise now, and it's so in disguise that now we're breaking each other. You know, so I have this story that. I was watching Django recently, and of course Django is crazy. Quentin Tarantino is crazy, but there's still something about that movie that just strikes gold with me. And I saw that you know, a lot of uh, the plantations would take their biggest, strongest slaves, and they would fight them against another plantation's slaves for just entertainment, for just sheer enjoyment of just slavery. (laughs) And then I see on the football fields, I see on the basketball court, I see just the framework of sports in this country, at least, going along that same narrative. And we're just breaking each other. You see that, you know, a 22 year old black guy, black kid coming out of college trying to go pro, and his family, you know, if he has a younger brother, he that, that, that younger brother is looking up to him saying, I want to become that. And so we're losing a lot of our zest for life beyond being like, being consumed or consuming. And it's like, yo, if, if, if life is only, um, or that enjoyment of life is only brought to you by like hurting yourself. Or hurting someone else, then that's no that that's no living that that's not life, right? And that's hard for me to watch. Having played football for so many years and have become almost addicted to that process that football taught us, right? Um, and just seeing how it plays itself out in the world with how um, the relationships that you see that come out of these sports and just so it, there's just it's deep, and I think you know for me I'm just allowing myself to be deep again to feel these things again. I think when I was at Summit and I've been in all these experiences, I was able to ignore it because I didn't didn't really have to face it because it just wasn't around me. It may have been around me, but it wasn't like, I didn't have a ping pong as far as I didn't have someone else there that I could be like, yo, he just says some shit. How'd that make you feel? Um, It was typically only me in the room. So I think for me, I'm just enjoying the process of unfolding or watching a lot of this unfold. And then looking at my own life and narrative and seeing it unfold as well, and seeing like, wow, hmm. there's a lot of things that I have to unlearn right now in order to truly um, have a, a a good perspective or a deeper understanding of what's happening right now. Because this isn't physical warfare; it's spiritual warfare, and it begins at the home. It begins in the morning you wake up. You know that that's the thing that I'm focusing on. It's like, I've been at warfare with myself, not with the world. Um, And so the last thing I want to do right now is to jump into warfare with the world because I have to first recognize that I am always in a constant battle sometimes with myself.
2: Mm.
1: And the voices of that battle become unheard often when I jump out there and try to take on too much. So for me, I'm just allowing myself to not take on as much, to be kind and compassionate to myself, to be soft, to be sweet. Things that I haven't been often taught I've been often taught to just be hard, but I'm like right now, I'm just being sweet to myself. I'm hugging myself when I know I need a hug because the pandemic is keeping us from hugging each other. Um, And I'm just learning new love languages for myself. So I think that's the deepest part of this mission right now. I'm on is just to learn that self, know that self.
0: One of my colleagues in my work was saying that to the last point that you made, she had normalized so much all the ways in which she was capitulating toward her white surroundings, white community, and she's now in a process of healing that. Mm. That that's no longer acceptable. That's no longer even really needed with the world waking up as it is. And sure, there are still some total asshats who are still not willing to see that our history as taught to us was a complete farce and will continue to go on as they've been going on, but they will be outnumbered at some point. And those of us who are willing to usher the process of ceasing to normalize this, uh, the way in which all people of color have had to fit into molds all their lives And ceasing to normalize that and starting to to change the narrative, the context, the picture. That's, Mm -hmm. I think, where everything is going. And that's a beautiful possibility to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, listen, I'm a warrior. So, you know, but I always know that, like, all soldiers pray before war. So before I, you know try to, you know, go and battle and all these things. I have to get into that, you know, the, the, that divine space. I got to set up my altar in my room. I have to speak to my ancestors in the morning. Um, I have to know that there's a support system beneath me that is well endowed to support me in every endeavor that I have.
2: Mm.
1: Um, that's the space that I think a lot of us also are missing is that connection to our ancestors. Because many in this country, especially Black people, don't know who our ancestors are. Um, we've been so divided and conquered that we have no historical narrative of who we really are outside of what white people have developed for us to tell ourselves that um, so that we can just keep drinking from the same you know the same fucking water um, And it's it's something that has, has troubled me for many years in my life um, just understanding that, Many people who look like me just go through hell that they don't have to, and like just hearing my mom just talk about um, the prejudice that exists on her job, being uh, working for the government for forty-two years, and just you know realizing that she had to like. It's almost like you know, as I look at Django, you know, and look at the many slave narratives recently, just seeing that a lot of us had to you know, convene in our own little safe circles and, you know, talk and speak in our native dialect. And we had to do this to keep a certain piece of our history intact. And I think now because of how heavily domesticated we've been in this country, we've lost so many pieces of our history. And because, you know, the education system doesn't want you to know who you are. You know, so they bastardize every book about you. They bastardize every story that's in these books about you. So then, the knowledge that you've learned about who you are is confined. And you're like, "Fuck." Well, then, what can I know? So, for me, just uh, my 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 lady, um, Juliana. She's she gifted me with an ancestral reading on my birthday. My birthday was oh, May seven. Wow. Happy birthday! And um, thank you. I turned thirty two years old, and she's. I was just uh, gonna
0: ask that. You feel older yeah, to me.
1: I do. Oh, in the best way. Oh, my friend. I (laughs) I really
0: did think you were much older. You're so wise.
1: (laughs) Thank you. So funny. And she gifted me with a reading, an EFA reading, because she found out seven years ago, she uh, was featured on BBC. They did um, a documentary on DNA Africa in Brazil, because Brazil is a very African-centered country that definitely doesn't reflect that at times, but if you go in the deep pockets of Brazil, whether it's Bahia or Salvador, you'll see that um, more slaves were sent there than to America. Um, I just learned that. So, Yeah, Brazil and then Brazil was one of the last places to even abolish slavery. So it's like, you know, they have a, an, like every country has a deep history with um, with color. Um, oh. And the IFA reading um, was beautiful. It was, oh my God. I'm so thankful to meet, to have met that woman at Summit, like she, she has, she'll never know, but that woman does so much for me. So shout out to Juliana Luna. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. But she gifted me with a reading. And um, the priestess, the first thing she said was, your ancestors are so happy to see you. And I cried. I'm getting emotional now. You know, I because I never heard that. I'm 32 and I never heard, like, I never heard my ancestors say anything. <laughs> you know, I'd only known pain through that narrative. Yep. And so like when they said I was so happy to see you and they were like she was like they were clapping They were yelling. She was saying they were so happy that she was and she started crying when she was listening Wow. And I was like my god, you're like this is too much for me right now <laughs> And it got deeper and deeper into just understanding like why I have um, an inclination To speak and articulate and to do this work. Why am I doing this work? You know when you find out your why which we're all seeking, we're all trying to figure out. But when you find out that like the very nature of your being is beneath you, like there's ancestors under you, above you, around you that are supporting you, that there's spirits with you always. And that's why you have been saved from certain things in your life. That's why you flow through certain environments and communities with much ease that you, know, you don't have to lean upon your own understanding, your own strength to support yourself. When I noticed that, when I recognized that, when that was gifted to me, I have not been the same. Since May 7th, I have not been the same. My, my, <clears throat> my desires are different. Um, everything's different <laughs> because I just know that this journey that I'm on is not my own. Um, that this journey has been birthed through many people's death, yes. came this journey of my life, and to restore that relationship with what's come before me. When I don't even know, like I don't like I didn't. I thought I didn't know. I thought I didn't. I thought I had to go take a DNA test, and I thought I had to do all these things to just have that feeling. But to know that that feeling is available to me always, if I just call upon it, there's an amount of peace that I feel and I have that no man can shake from me now. Um, I always wanted to do so much because that's how we were developed in this country. Like, go here, and that's always somewhere in my mind. It was like, Jossie, go get that, go get that bag. But just to know that like, I don't have to carry that anymore that I can manifest whatever I want because of what's around me, beneath me, and above me. It just, it's like I'm protected. Yes. You know, like, yes. people can say whatever they want. The world can look like, can, can look at me and whatever like they have. But the people who birthed me, the people who birthed my family, the people who birthed a nation of people are with me. Oh, so you mean I have kings and queens with me? So I should stand tall? I shouldn't feel defeated. I shouldn't feel unworthy of love. I shouldn't feel unworthy to be to be well. That I have these; these are part of my existence. They rest in me. Shit. I when people have that, like when people have that recognition, it's 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 very hard to turn back. It's very hard to like pull down the veil again over my eyes. I just can't no. do it. No. You know. So um, thank God for. The Yoruba tradition, which birthed a lot of what we see now as you know Buddhism and all these things, like the chakra system, is an ancient Western African system.
0: Spell that, please. Yes. Uh, Yoruba. Yes.
1: Y o r u b a. Of course, um, of course, of course. Yeah, and my and Luna is of that. Um, she's she's of Nigerian descent, so that's her lineage. Wow. And that's why she gifted me. I mean, gifted me with it. And I was scared to do it because it was a cowrie shell did, uh, divination, um, which is like I don't even fully understand. <laughs> um, but the words that were spread to me, and I still have the notes on my WhatsApp, and just I listen to them every day. I have my own song that I now listen to every day of wow. drums, ancestral drumming. Wow. Um, that can that can literally like if I'm feeling down, if I'm like wherever I'm at, that drumming. If I listen to that, I'm just pulled into the right relationship I need. And mm-hmm. it's um like all these things are tenants of what was left for us. Yeah. And because a lot of what was left for us was burned down, um, we forgot. And so for me, that remembering um, is so much about what I do and why I do it. I want us all to remember, you know, and even if the remembering is a painful one, remember the pain, you know, like remember that yeah. because Once you remember it, you don't have to carry it so much Hmm. Um, because a lot of this stuff is in ours that we're dealing with. Hmm. Um, These have been here before and will be here again. So how can we as individuals develop a relationship with ourselves and with our ancestors to always know that we're supported and to never lose sight of the mission in front of us always, which is to help someone else. Hmm. It's to you know really to like for me we're all servants right that's how I believe this game runs um we're all serving something <laughs> and it's just always questioning like what are you serving or as my mother says um who's your pimp? You know um she's such a badass my God <laughs> No she just she just says a lot of things I'm like oh yes yeah, that's, that's interesting but no that's true though like who's your pimp? You know, like we're all getting pimped to some degree. So who's your pimp, and right. um, how are you willing to be pimped? Right.
2: So I'm just right. like, yo,
1: I got so much, like, so many answers have come to me because of just, just the knowing that I'm not alone. Right. Like, that's why don't we all have that recognition? <laughs> you know, like I'm sitting here in my room alone, but like, and I'm talking to you, but like, I know that even without your voice, even without this conversation. I can sit in this room and know that I'm not alone. That my brother who passed on two years ago is with me. Oh, that I have ancestors and wisdom is with me. The wisdom is with me. It's in me. It's not out there. What? It's not out there. And so I have to fine tune it here. So that when I step outside, I'm strong enough to, to wear and to brave whatever madness is trying to get at me. Whatever person tries to defeat me, they can't. Whoever wants to shake me, they can't. Whoever wants to break me, they can't. I'm unbroken. I'm unbreakable, you can't do it. You can't. Only I can do that for me. So if I wanna feel broken, I can jump into that. But I will not allow someone or something to push me there because I just know I have a strong support system that doesn't want me to go there. And I hear them sometimes. Ever since May 7th, I'm when I walk. So I do the same practice in the morning. I walk outside because I got grass outside and I walk around and I just breathe. And as simple as that may be, I hear things. And as esoteric as that may sound, that's real. And you can hear things too. We're channels, we're divine, like, like we're vessels. Totally, we're so divine. And black people, oh my god, if this black magic book I'm reading, yo, just to understand, just. The spiritual traditions and ceremonies and practices that we had, that we still carry, that we don't even know we carry, but just our being. And we've involved ourselves into a religious system that does, that's literally been bastardized for our own enslavement mm-hmm. of our minds. You're like, oh my goodness, to know that Santa is like is Christianity basically, but just bastardized names. They bastardized Santa and turned it into Christianity, right? You know, so it's just like, wow, You just look, oh, wow, you look at all this and you're like, well, why are black people so inclined to become preachers and priests, and, you know, and, and, and do this higher work? Why are we so good at it? That's who you are. That's who we are. Like, I am passion lived out. Like, yes. I am, like, like, this is who I am. I can't deny this. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us over the years. We deny it so much that we forget that it's even there. And so we have to go through that remembering process. And that's muddy. It's dirty. It's not just all, you know, fucking uh, green tea and meditation. Like no. there's a lot of mess involved in recognizing that you're a miracle. And that's just where we're at right now. So <laughs> long story short, that's how that's how I get down. That's how, I'm, that's how I'm moving through this all.
0: This is a conversation that we need to revisit and pick up in a few weeks because I don't I don't think I've heard enough from you. I think that there are so many threads of this conversation that need to be unspooled and unfurled. And I particularly want to explore again all of the religion work that you're doing and the ancestral line magic that you're unearthing. I think this this is a big part of let me say this, and you know I love you since we met, since the moment we met. I'm gonna say that you are going to be one of the most important elders to people of color as you age. And I wanna be a part of making sure that those of us who are not of color, oh, it's making me cry. Get it's to- making me cry too. God, get, God. <laughs> sorry. But I want to make good. sure that those of us who aren't of color get to hear who who you become as you get older. Cause I think not enough of us have heard the truth of what this means. And you are going, you are you are a serious prophet.
1: And you know what's crazy? My my <laughs> friend told me this. He was like, um, so I called him one day, and I was like, yo, people don't hear me, yo. I'm like, I'm trying to talk to my friend, I'm talking to my friend. Like, no one hears me. And he goes, a prophet has never heard in his hometown. Mm. He says, so you have to get out and yeah. spread your message. Yes. You can't do it from the confines of your home. So no. I think um, this is a part of that, you know, like sharing conversations and allowing for myself to open up and just be. Yes. And um, thank you. Seriously, like... I'm, I'm always in awe of like the magic you create and how much uh, reverence people have for your practice and for you as a human. And I recognize that from just, there was one moment that we shared um, at Summit and <laughs> that birthed a uh, a relationship yeah. um, that I still carry, no matter how complicated that relationship may get. Um I carry that woman with me everywhere I go. Yeah. I carry that moment with me everywhere I go. Yeah. And um, I'm in pure gratitude always to the people who've allowed for me to see me. And you are one of those people. You, Ali Bogard. That's you right. know, you guys have allowed me to see myself. You know, when I go to your class or when I hear your words, I'm able to see a reflection of me and you. And um, it's an honor Like, seriously, like we have to pick this back up, you know? We are. Um, These are things that I think deserve to be heard. So thank you.
0: I love you so, so much.
1: I love you too.
0: (laughs) Thank you for being here today. Seriously. No problem. AG1 for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus. And longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day. Far less expensive and definitely less time consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of immune boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.